Welcome, friends, to episode number four of Wampa Radio. This is a podcast focusing on Star Wars Unlimited by FFG, but you know us by now. We tend to take the scenic route and just loop around all the Outer Rim territories when it comes to Star Wars and card games in general. I am joined, as always, by the the R2 to my 3PO. Actually, I think that you're more of the 3PO. In like in this sort of dichotomy, I'm pretty sure that you're the one mostly complaining about stuff. You know, it's really interesting because while I do believe I tend to complain slightly more than you, I also feel like I'm more likely to get us in trouble. And that is also like a steadfast characteristic of R2-D2. Like me doing the R2 scream and like rolling down the wrong elevator shaft or something is also right up my alley. So I could go either way. Yeah, I can see that. Like... A lot of the times, it's like if we're sharing an Airbnb or a hotel or something at an event, oftentimes it's like, I'm okay, I'm ready to go. It's like, where's Charmer? Where's Charmer? And all of a sudden, you just see like the droid fire out of a hallway, smash into a wall. There's smoke everywhere. You know what I just realized, and I'm okay with this, I'm Chopper. Oh, That's yeah. Who I am. I'm Chopper. Yeah, yeah. A, a little bit of a, of a potty mouth on you sometimes. <laughs> exactly. I'm I'm the one with the the carabast. You gotta have stick in. Yeah, that'll that'll do it. Fact. I think that's uh, that might lead us to our future poll is uh, something about droids. But uh, this episode is going to be jam packed, ladies and gentlemen. You and I have a lot to get to. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff to talk about last week. We got to talk about the rules. This week, however, we got the quick start rules that were officially dropped uh, on Tuesday. Uh, we are recording this uh, after the fact this time so that we don't have to do any sort of weird delays. Sorry about that, gang. Uh, and then they had that follow-up developer stream as well where they got to you know give us some extra tidbits. And there is actually quite a bit to cover. We had card reveals, art reveals as well. But perhaps the most important thing to talk about is, of course... Wampa Cave Troll. <laughs> cave Pole. Oh, wow. I knew I was going to do it. You, you did oh. that. You messed it up. It's oh. fine. Well, well I was, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I'll clean this up in editing. But you know what? Sometimes no, 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 no. You have to leave that in. Because in there. You know what? Here's, here's the thing. From the moment we named this, my biggest fear was that I was going to say Cave Troll. And I think I manifested it because, listen, I love Star Wars, but I also love Lord of the Rings like every nerd does. And so I can't see Cave Pole and not think Cave Troll. No. The Wampa is kind of like the Cave Troll of the Star Wars universe. I knew I was going to do it. It's Might as bad. well uh, give myself props that I made it to episode four before I messed it up. But anyway, yeah. the Wampa. No, no, we're Cave past it. Troll. We're past it. I, that's where I'm cutting it. I've already cut it. In 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 post, if you're listening to this, it's already been cut. It is, you said Wampa Cave Troll. It cut to the little <laughs> scene. The the Wampa, in this case, is so pissed off at you that his he's that agony is not his arm <sighs> being cut off. It's you saying Cave Troll. And somewhere in a parallel universe, Boromir is saying, is lo- listening to this podcast and saying, oh, they have a cave pole now. That's... <laughs> That's, how, that's what's happening. <laughs> that, I mean, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. All right. So very slowly now, give us give us time for some post-production magic here. Let's wa- walk us through the poll, my friend. Okay. So the poll was, what is the best John Williams music from Star Wars? And this was something that I had kind of thought about last week i was like man there is so many iconic pieces of music john williams first of all 
the Beethoven of our generation, as far as I'm concerned, arguably, in my opinion, more influential, because when you think about the sheer volume of work that he has done, yes, it's for movies, but the number of times I can hear a piece of music and immediately have a memory of not just the film, but like core memories in my soul. Uh, the the things that he has done for the archaeology profession between Indiana Jones and Jurassic Park, like that's all of their ringtones. If you're an archaeologist, let's be honest. Was he so, Jurassic Park too? Yes. Oh god. Okay. Well, that solidifies it. Absolutely. Jaws, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, Star Wars. Like the list goes on and on. So. Uh, just within Star Wars, he's got a plethora of, of bangers. And so our choices were the main title, the opening theme, uh, Imperial March, because obviously that's iconic. Duel of the Fates, arguably the best part of the prequels, period. And then the Cantina Band song. And I am, I'm going to be honest, uh, kind of surprised that this was as heavy-handed in the wind yeah. as it was for Duel of the Fates here, because while it is the one that I also selected, I think that, like I said, it might be the best thing, period, that came out of the the prequels. It's the one that immediately gets me, like, hyped up. Like, I'll put Duel of the Fates in my gym mix. Like, it's that good. I just didn't expect it to win, and emphatically so, over those iconic, you know, core trilogy pieces of music. Much like Darth Maul said, give me all of them. I'll take them all on at once. Uh, Duel of the Fates just absolutely shredded this poll. And what I love about this is that this is the only one that came out of anything from that wasn't the O, the O, OT, right? The OG trilogy. Um, I, I was hoping that some, like there was a little bit of love for Cantina Band song, you know, like the Bith Shuffle and, you know, uh, Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes doing their thing at the Cantina. Uh, again, that was composed by John Williams. I looked it up. Mm-hmm. It was a John Williams thing. So John Williams just crushing this gen- this generation, this era of cinematic, you know, auditory delight. But Duel of the Fates to me, I think is because I mean Imperial March there's n- I think out of all this there's Duel of the Fates is the one that is the most impactful the most resonating I mean Imperial March is cool but can you do you have like one resounding image in your in your mind for Imperial March or is it like a theme is it like just you know more of this ominous imposing for presence me, For me the one that I always immediately think of is the scene on cloud city when he's like marching through the hall with the troopers with him yeah like i know it's played a bunch of times but like it's just that like the imperial march is something that just kind of calls to mind uh like might and power but not quite the same right it's almost like this ominous presence but also military order right it's almost it, it, they took the the because uh, I think it's based off of like a, a death march sound. Um, like there's another song that it, it borrows from heavily. I'd have to look it back up again. Um, but it takes that, but it makes it feel very militaristic, right? And like that's it. I think about you know the the boots clanking and the, like the snapping of the feet and I I don't know like yeah. uh, like I have this mental image and it's very hard to articulate it, but it just snaps every time. But that evokes like a theme in your mind, like a feeling or whatever, which is great, and that's what it's meant to do. Duel of the Fates to me, when I hear it, the first thing I think about is when Maul 
ignites his second blade the on his second blade. Right, like, yeah, it is. It is so just intimately entwined with that moment. Whereas main title opening theme, you get the crawl, right? Okay, that's mm-hmm. fine. Like you get it. It's it's absolutely part of it. But there's no none of this that really evokes that one two second yeah, scene the, like that. The and, closest that I can think of, because you're absolutely right. The duel of the fates might as well be the the entrance music for Darth Maul, the ignition of that second saber is iconic. And if you think about it in like in wrestling terms, that's what it is. Duel of the Fates is the entrance music for Darth Maul forever, like lodged in our brains at that point. But the other one that I think is close and it technically wasn't on our poll, but the piece of music that I believe they just call the force theme or the force anthem, but it's got that, that horn. And it's when you see the twin sons on Tatooine, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Whenever I hear that like little jingle almost, but it's it's not really a jingle, it's with the horn, and I, I'm not going to try to mimic it vocally because I would sound like a seal dying on land. Um, but like when that happens, I immediately think of Luke on Tatooine, you know, staring with the, uh, the two twin sons in the distance, right? Like that's the only other one that comes close to immediate imagery in my mind. No, you're, you're spot on. Well, there you have it. That's the uh, Wampa Radio Cave poll of the week charmer uh duel of fates taking it heftily here uh what's fascinating as well is that uh, i was thinking i honestly thought that cantina song was an in star wars canon kind of throwaway creation that just got popular but no john williams had his his fingers all over that one as well but if you guys want to take part in the poll they usually go up on sundays they run for a few days you can check us out at at wampa radio on twitter new polls every week we got headlines and these are we've got a a crap ton of them so we're gonna we're gonna cruise through these as efficiently as possible without kind of you know glossing over anything but one of the first ones we want to talk about is the giveaway winner my friend the giveaway winner for this here millennium falcon from star wars ccg uh we said hey if we can get up to 100 subscribers We'll give this away, but hey, you know us. We're just going to give it away anyways. We're close, so that's awesome. We're going to probably do another giveaway next week because I'm a glutton for uh, giving stuff away. But uh, there's the animation, ladies and gentlemen, as the wheel turns and eventually falls upon a wonderful winner being, this time, Charmer, the winner is... Mads Peterson. Yes, Mads Peterson. Don't forget, if you want to claim this, I need to know your uh, information. So uh, tweet at Wampa Radio, tweet at Watchflake, or tweet uh, at that charm 3R. Uh, we'll get back to you. Give us your uh, address, and we will pop this in the mail. It's coming to you. So thank you to everybody who's playing. Uh, fresh giveaways, probably like every week, I think. I've got some stuff to give away and stamps to, to slap on them. So why not, right? Why not? Why not? That is the first piece of news. The second big piece of news is the fact that Charmer, uh, the quick start rules are officially out there. So we don't have to hide or uh, basically we don't have to Cassian Andor our way around them anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So for a while, a good chunk of them had been leaked and they were on websites. And I was trying to do my best to only discuss parts of them that were available publicly right it's that old you know hey you can talk about it if it's out in the wild sort of thing but you don't want to be responsible for divulging the rebellion secrets so now that they're out there you know we can talk about the rules and that 
that's a really big deal because as we get these card reveals and we've got a couple more that we're going to talk about today, we can also really bring the context, right? Because we know what we're working with in terms of a rule set now. Before, you know, you would mention something and you'd say like, okay, does it seem like that's on theme? Does it seem like it fits the character? But now we can actually talk about, you know, the usefulness as you play through the game as well, because we know how the game is finally going to be played and we can, you know, go at length. Yep, uh, that was also followed up uh, right away almost by a developer stream from Fantasy Flight Games and the team um, who are involved with, I guess, putting the, the game together. The product strategy director. There's your picture for you if you guys want to know who it is. Jim Cartwright. Jim, you said you listen to us. So we're going to give you some dap right here. Look at this beautiful face. I paused at so many moments to try to find a good picture of Jim. I say a good picture. Uh, a picture where when I paused it, he didn't look like he was in the middle of some sort of voodoo trance. But this uh, this is what we're getting. So director Jim Cartwright uh, says uh, said on the, on, the, uh, on the stream, said, I listen to pretty much every piece of Star Wars Unlimited content that you guys are putting out there. So, Jim... Thank you for that. It means a lot to us. So, hi, Jim. Casual uh, hi, I just Jim. I say I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, we operate. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, we operate sometimes under the, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission, uh, but not as much anymore. We're, we're good boys over here, so we'll, we'll be nice. But uh, thanks, Jim, for, for listening to all of the content for sure. Other than that, um, this stream was very... I listen. I was there. I watched it. I watched it twice, actually, just to see if I missed anything. But ultimately, this is a stream that was very razor focused on the rules and the rules alone. Uh, any questions that I tried to slip under the mat regarding things like rarity or competitive play, uh, best of three, things like that, whatever, they were like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna get to those in future streams." So the important aspect of this is that we're gonna get more of these information streams down the line. Yeah, I am really looking forward to the future streams. I like that they are being so open with us this early because, again, it's wild to think that it's June and the game doesn't come out until 2024. And we've already got rules. We're getting card reveals. We're going to get to demo the game in August here at Gen Con. I know that we're about to transition to that. So actually, let's just do that. So that's another one of the things that was covered or was revealed in the headlines this week, which is that there's going to be exclusive Luke and Vader cons available at Gen Con. So if you have not already reserved your spot for one of the, you know, demo slots to check out the game, you're, you know, doing yourself a disservice because you're going to want to check out the game to begin with. But now also we know there are some exclusive promos available. Not only that, but we've seen how people can kind of go a little bit crazy with this. When Lorcana first put out their batch, like their six or seven piece kit of uh, D23 cards, those went like crazy. It, and I'm not saying this like, oh, that's a good thing. People buying and selling the whole set of those for, you know, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000. Like, let's just pump the brakes on that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh I, I'm actually really interested to see where these land. I will be the first to say on record that I'm not a huge fan of secondary market like chasing. I, I don't like to treat my card games like a stock market. I just like to play the game. But I am very interested in where these will ultimately land because there are 
some obvious differences between the the D23 Lorcano promos. For example, D23, I don't think people were attending that with games like that in mind, so it kind of snuck up on people. People who go to Gen Con know you're going to be there for games, right? You're going to talk about games. But also, on the other side, these promos are really cool because they're Luke and Vader, right? And while, yes, you've got your Disney adults and there are some decent characters in those D23 promos for Lorcana, you know, there's a Mickey Mouse or whatever, that's not Luke or Vader. And maybe it's just my Star Wars bias, but when I get really excited for promos, it's hard to nail two better characters than them. I, I'm so sad um, because that weekend, I mean sad, uh, it, it was one of the few weekends in my schedule where I had to make a decision. Go to Gen Con or work uh, at for a Flesh and Blood event. And, I mean, I'm going to work the Flesh and Blood event all the time, given the choice. It's my career. pays the bills. Uh, plus, I love doing it. But this was a tough one because yeah. I'm not going to be... It, Gen- this was a tough one. I was supposed to work that event with you. It's going to be the first Realm event that you and I have not done together since the Realm started doing those events but i decided that this was the best year for me to take my oldest son so my oldest son turned 10 this year and if you're not familiar at gen con you have to start paying for badges at 11 and older so i was like hey it'll be his first big gaming convention it's also the last year where i can take him and we can do a bunch of stuff kind of pseudo for free on his side so i'm taking my kid to to gen con so i will miss the flesh and blood event but i will however get to do- demo star wars unlimited and yeah so. you son of a um <laughs> i am uh, i'm doing my best to sort of angle my way into potentially seeing if somebody would uh, scoop me up one of those luke's invaders because like you said there's not much that gets my mojo going but when it's star wars i'm like yeah give me the shiniest versions of it all and uh New cards, though. I mean, and Luke and Vader are kind of old news. Uh, they might be getting sort of a, a fresh coat of paint when it comes to that variant of uh, of the card. However, we did get a slew of new cards as well, some of which are in the uh, Quick Start Rule book. So we're going to gloss over those very quickly. But the most prominent of those, in my opinion, I think, is Yoda, Old Master. And why is Yoda so damn awesome besides being Yoda? Uh, first of all, Yoda is a three drop. It's a two four. It has force as one of the keywords, Jedi as well. So that is very important. But what I want to talk about is one of the keywords that are in there, which is restore two. Now, the whole text says restore two when defeated. So when it's basically when Yoda dies, choose any number of players they each draw a card. Typically, that's probably going to be you. Just you, unless there's a 2v2 mode. Oh, it's got to be. Or more. Or more. I think that that's... Right? You could, listen, you could do something like the multiplayer format uh, from Magic, which is called Emperor format, and literally run like a Palpatine version, right? You'd call it the Palpatine format, and you'd have, you know... Each side, you've got your teammates. If you're, if you're not familiar, it's a three-on-three format. Uh, this could be a lot of fun. Uh, and, you know, we, we have to do that anyway, because when it comes to gaming, somehow Palpatine returned. You, I swear to God. In, I was like, don't do in it, In the man. form of a multiplayer Don't Look format, at that face, friends. Right? Everybody yeah, watching this on YouTube, that is the Smucker's face. That is absolutely yeah, the Smucker's face. It's, I once told somebody that I don't, 
tell jokes for other people. I tell them for myself. Like I just try to make myself laugh. And then if they land with other people, it's fine. But everything that I do is for me. And that's that face. That's me enjoying All right. my own I'm, chicanery. I'm putting up a Simpsons meme right now. It's a, it's a still from a Simpsons episode where Homer says something so egregious in a car full of people and all of them are frowning at him and he has a big dumb grin on his face that's what you did that Mm -hmm. is the smuckers face so friends there you have it if i ever say smuckers it's because he's got this smug effer face and that's what it is but the uh the part about this this card that really intrigues me beside for restore two is Read read the helper text for Restore 2. It says, when this unit attacks, heal 2 damage from your base. Okay, sounds like lifelink, right? Sounds like lifesteal, lifelink, whatever it is. You deal damage, it returns to you as health. It doesn't say if it deals damage. It says when it attacks. Attacks. So. There's, there's actually a lot of nuance here. Uh, I, I actually love this card because this shows the depth. If there was a single card I could pick that could show like the depth of the design for this game and why you should be excited for it as far as mechanics go, it might be this. On the surface, this looks exactly like Lifelink, like you said, but the reality is, one, it's only when it attacks. So when it defends, you don't gain health, so it really shuts down Ultra Turtle formats where... If you are defending, you also get additional benefits for defending, both gaining health on your base and, you know, just having it ready to uh, to block. But the other thing that stands out to me is that not only do you have to put it in danger, you have to be attacking to get the restoration, but it's a restore two on it, meaning if you buff his attack, you can't turbo heal your base either, right? It's restore two. That dictates, that keyword dictates how much you're healing, so... You could throw a lightsaber on him. You could have him drive an ATAT, whatever you want. He's only going to restore that too. So they've already figured out that one, you want to support formats where you're trying to progress to an end state. Meaning, yes, you need to have ways to heal. You have to have comeback mechanics, but you don't want to make it so that the games take an hour. Also, flavor-wise, I love that when he's defeated, at least somebody gets to draw a card because this represents that like passing on of knowledge, right? It's I've taught you Luke, I've passed away, but I've, you know, may, hopefully made you better for your journey. Everything about this says they, they care about the flavor of the characters. They care about the, you know, flexibility in the design where you can print keywords like restore. And that allows you to do some different things power wise, right? You can have something like restore one on a big unit so that you're getting some health back, but it's not overtuned. Uh, I also really enjoy that, as you said, it doesn't need to deal damage because you could attack with this. And then if it is uh, destroyed by an action or blocked and it never does damage, you still get the restoration part. Like there's just so much that I really appreciate about this. And it's only, a, only an uncommon. This is going to be a draft dynamo, in my opinion. Definitely a, an awesome card. Um, moving on, we got Death Star Stormtrooper, uh, a three-one. It's it's got the aggression tag on it aspect. It's a one-drop. This is just your grunt, your your aggro aggro one-drop. Yep, that's a hundred percent it. It's got the aggressive tag, and for good reason. It's aggressive, uh, way more attack power than it has health. Pretty brittle, but hopefully it does the relevant damage you need it to before it eventually meets its end. All right, so the next three cards I have revealed in a specific, or we will reveal in a specific order because they all play into each other so well. Initially, there's the Thailand, the TIE Fighter, the standard 
Eyeball, TIE Fighter, a one-drop. It has one aspect, so very easy to fit into a deck. Same, uh, not like the Stormtrooper. The Stormtrooper had two. Uh, this is just standard one-drop. It's a 2-1. It's a Imperial Vehicle Fighter. It's a space unit. You drop it in there. It's a one-drop space unit. This could be, given the fact that the game starts with two resources in play, you could just, all right, uh, Stormtrooper, TIE Fighter, pass. Like, you know, like that can be your opening mm -hmm. salvo. But ultimately, anything special out of this? It's just your your standard vanilla grunt Yeah, work. there's nothing really special about the unit, but there is something that I have been thinking about since I saw this for the first time, which is... Uh, you know, it's obviously in space and it has the vehicle tag. And so I naturally thought, like, I wonder if there's ever going to be a space unit that doesn't have the vehicle tag. And then I started thinking about, like, the space whales and things we've seen in, you know, Star Wars, you know, films and TV shows and things. And I was like, oh, man, I guess they actually could print some things in space without the vehicle tag. That's interesting. All right. Now, down the line, we're going to flip over to the wonderful rebellion, the Alliance X-Wing. A two drop. It's only got one, uh, one aspect as well. It's a two three. So one extra resource. But this trades nicely with the Tie Fighter, which in reality, that's what they're there for. X wings chew up Tie Fighters. There it is. It's a. Uh, it can kill two Tie Fighters for one X wing. Uh, a vanilla two three. There you have it. Anything special on this one, Charmer? No, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's doing what it's designed to do, which is this is supposed to be the kind of superior advanced weaponry that was meant to answer TIE Fighters. And so that's exactly what it does. It answers TIE Fighters. All right. Now we're going to lead off to the juice here, buddy, because uh, this is a card that was revealed by the Saga podcast. You should check them out. Uh, the Saga podcast does great work. They revealed the Imperial Interceptor. It is a four-cost, two-aspect space unit. It is a three-two, so it still has the uh, the the sort of frailty, as it were, of the ties of not having shields. They're not very robust. I think that the life total on this gets a little bump up from the Tie Fighter purely because it has better maneuverability in canon. But mm -hmm. it is the when played effect that is so clutch. Yeah, the one plate effect says you may deal three damage to a space unit, and that just so happens to be the health on an X-Wing. So when this thing comes down, it just snipes an X-Wing, and then the 3-2 body is the exact inverse of the 2-3. So it also deals with a second X-Wing. And so when you're looking at these two, you have the TIE Fighter, and then you have, for double the TIE Fighter's cost, you have an X-Wing that can answer exactly two TIE Fighters before it dies. And then for double the X-Wing cost, you have the Interceptor that answers exactly two X-Wings. So again, this kind of meandering path they've taken for uh, design and how they answer each other. And again, that really does kind of follow the lore as far as like how these things were meant to answer one another. I just really appreciate this. I'm waiting for the A-Wing to come out, which was essentially the Rebel Alliance's, you know, answer to... Interceptor, yeah. Yeah, to the Interceptor, something that can keep up with it that was more speed. The thing about it is that, like, the the TIE Interceptor was firepower, maneuverability. It was a glass cannon, and that's why mm -hmm. they, they basically put their best pilots in there. Baron Suntir Fell was a TIE uh, Interceptor pilot uh but again the flavor of the tie into the x-wing into the interceptor do you guys see where the heart and soul and like a lot of that love was put into the design here which i really really 
appreciate. Um, myself, as a card game player for so long and a Star Wars fan, seeing how, you know, even in, um, in Star Wars CCG, when the TIE Interceptors were printed, they were pretty robust. They were they were out there to deal with the the um what was pre- previously dominated by the uh the the light side the alliance side they were like the snub fighter team they had all the x-wings and pilots and and mm-hmm. capabilities whereas the dark side had all the capital ships so when they did print those they were like all right it's a cheap way to deal with some other nonsense and here it's the same way so kudos to uh to the card designer, that would be Danny Schaefer, I believe. So, cheers to you guys for putting this one together. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, we also had revealed the Cloud City Wing Guard, which is a three cost with one aspect. It's a two four body on the ground, but it has the Sentinel keyword. So, this is our first look at. Uh, a unit that has that keyword. Now, if you're not familiar, the reminder text on this says units in this arena, meaning that space, the ground, can't attack your non-Sentinel units or your base. So this is, if you're coming from other card games, very similar to like Taunt in Hearthstone, for example. I like it too. This one uh, was revealed by at the Wasi. Um, got some cards to reveal. There's another one coming after this, but yeah, the first dig, uh, the first digs at uh, Sentinel, which is essentially if you're playing other card games, it's like uh, Taunt, I guess, from Hearthstone. You attack this before you attack anything else. Uh, I think in uh, Elder Scrolls Legends, it was like Guard or something. What was it called? Yeah. 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 So you got to get these out of the way before you go face. They're just there to essentially soak damage, pr- protect other units, etc. A three drop, two four taunt. That is basically with one aspect. I feel like this is just run of the mill. Again, it's a common, so we're not going to get too excited about that kind of stuff. But look at the um, sort of the the tribals, the the little taglines. There's trooper, which that's going to definitely be a tribal. But fringe, I wonder what the hell that means. Well, it means that this particular guard is a big fan of sci-fi TV shows from the <laughs> early 2000s. Um, I also was a big fan of fringe, as, as weird as that show was. But no, I think that it's probably going to represent things that are kind of meant to be outside of your Coruscant bubble, right? So... Uh, you could say maybe like Outer Rim, but obviously Cloud City is its own thing. So I think by going with uh, just an ambiguous word like fringe, you can cover, you know, units that would be on Tatooine or Cloud City or any, again, the, of those fringe planets or areas. I sure. think that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, it doesn't. I guess it doesn't have an affiliation, you know, like a Cloud City trooper is not aff- affiliated with the, you know, the Alliance or the Imperials or anything like that. It's just he's just doing his job. And he's got a sick mustache, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next card, I think, might be my favorite card. And I, I I know that this is completely early. And I know that in the um, in the developer stream, the lead designer, Danny Schaefer, had mentioned that it makes him laugh because he listens to a lot of people evaluate cards being good or bad without knowing anything else. And you know me. I am the first person to absolutely dog on people who rate cards before knowing what they all are. Like, you have no idea whether a card's good or bad because you have no context and you have no, you know, the bigger picture. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that a 
two drop, three two with one aspect that allows you to look at your opponent's hand, which is the Viper Probe Droid, is just a really good card. I think that knowing what your opponent <laughs> has is a very, very good card. Again, this revealed by At the Wasi. Um, the Viper That's Probe Droid, man. So I think funny. I think that this card is is a card that like as a two drop it trades with a lot of things um it also just you look at your opponent's hand dude like that is an incredibly strong aspect of any game is is knowledge and i'm not saying this to be you know after school special or anything but knowledge is power dude um knowing it's the same way like in magic if you thought sees your opponent sometimes they just concede <laughs> you know it just happens this doesn't allow you to pull cards out of your opponent's hand nonetheless but knowing what's down the pipe you know what to save your cards for or what you can commit what you know you're not just throwing out there so i think viper probe droid is going to be a very playable card it'll be playable i just don't know that i would have used the word good see it's so funny this is why the evaluation in a vacuum is actually so interesting because when i looked at this my initial thought was that this is a card that will have diminishing returns as players get smarter. I think this is something that will have a lot of value early on and then will taper off because the 3-2 stat line, granted, we've not seen a whole lot of cards yet, but based on what we have seen, doesn't feel like it's a, a premium stat line. It feels like it's going to be on par with other two drops. So the when played is something you get a one-time value for, whereas if this had a keyword, right, if it says Sentinel or restore or has something else where you're going to potentially get you know repeated or long-lasting value that's one thing but once you've looked at the hand you're right absolute great information however once players get better and they kind of know what to expect from opponents then you're really just seeing if they have the thing or don't have the thing right and then once you've played the first one if you draw a second one it really starts to tank in value, whereas something that has a static keyword or something like that is better. So this is one of those cards that I think early on when players are learning the game has a lot of upfront power and then it will diminish as time goes on. But again, much like you said, really hard to judge in a vacuum. Yeah, there are I, so many things I could see that would like increase the value of this a ton. And there are uh, you know instances where I could see where this ends up being not good because again, maybe this is like really bad stats for you know the cost but like based on what i'm seeing i expect three two or two three to be kind of like the standard of two drops so i've also decoded the the borders by the way i mean decoded it's not like a huge thing but look at the probe droid and look at the tie fighter same border uh flanking the art right now look at the uh imperial interceptor it's the same design with a red hue that's because the aggression tints it red whereas the other aspect which eludes me at the moment which one that is um it uh it, it, it that creates the design the other aspect hues it if you look at the alliance x-wing and you look at yoda they have the same design for i guess what is that heroism um and yoda has heroism but it's tinted blue for vigilance so, or is it command? I think it's vigilance. Anyway, or it, it's either way. That's kind of like if you look at, yeah, the Death Star Stormtrooper, same thing as the TIE Interceptor. It's aggression and whatever that other color is, black. Um, 
it's that black design with the red hue. That's the that's how that sort of formula works for the card uh, the card frames. Did that make sense? Yeah, I I, I think that makes sense. Um, There's one that we'll has the design. Yeah, I was gonna say there. We we'll have to wait and see because we right now we're kind of seeing cards from the the core factions with the exception of the cloud city wing guard right so in my mind i'm thinking you know what is it going to look like when we get you know some of these other factions by themselves like i was trying to imagine um just a command card right something that would just be green what is that going to look like but uh so far i'm i'm on to your theory i think that i i am of the same belief i'm just kind of curious how it's going to play out long term especially if we start getting like what what's it going to look like if you have three factions yeah that would be cool i would love we, to see that i think we're we know get from those. the rules yeah i was gonna say we know from the rules that your leader can have two and your base can give you access to a third right so if yeah. you've got a card that's all three then what does that do to the bordering all right so let's walk on to the last two which are the least in, in least fascinating to me it's Dagoba swamp uh catacombs of kadera these are bases 30 health all they do is just add an extra aspect to your deck building abilities um well we're gonna get into a little bit more about the locations and stuff but anything right out of the gate for this um no i the only thing that jumps out to me that i want to say is that the art looks really good on both of these uh, i'm pretty uh i tend to be anyway pretty picky about like my location art but i really liked uh, the art presentation for both of these. Sure. All right. Uh, last but not least for the new segment, I know we've been dragging it out, but there's a lot to get to. Brand new art, one of the greatest characters, one of the the, the true heroes of the Rebellion Charmer. It is R2-D2. The main character for Star Wars, as far as I'm concerned. I suppose. You can't go wrong there. I mean, just... Does a lot, frankly. I am so excited for this card because this could be anything. This could legitimately be, uh, you know, a low power. Uh, maybe you know, it could be like a one, two, three drop that does crazy stuff. Like, look at your opponent's hand, move a card away, uh, draw a card, do all kinds of nonsense. Yeah. You know what's interesting? Earlier, I was kind of posing the thought of. You know, outside of vehicles, what else could be a space unit? But this is another one that actually jumps out, right? Astromechs. You could have the space version of an astromech that's just, you know, hanging out there. Now, granted, normally you attach them to a ship or whatever, but... Ooh, what if R2-D2 has two different modes? What if one of them is being a ground character and does things, and the other is it's an upgrade that you put onto a ship put on an x-wing or something yeah, yeah that would be really cool that would be cool i think that that would be a really really awesome flavor um if- yeah and they both have the unique tag so you have to decide do you want to play the upgrade or the unit oh definitely that's 100 like, yeah. yeah yeah no 100 percent. it's like you can't have r2 on the ground and flying an x-wing or whatever you know so i can see that his stats can just be on the ground or as an upgradable ability for a, he can be an upgrade or a character. I think that that is perfectly within the realm of possibility for R2-D2. That's just me. Uh, yeah. Any last thoughts before we get to the uh, the crux of the matter, my friend? Final thought, and then we'll, we'll jump into the big one, which is the aspect that you were trying to remember was villainy. It's heroism and villainy. Awesome. That's the black one. Okay. And there's a big part about that as we... Right. 
get into the main topic, which is rules and gameplay, ladies and gentlemen. Again, if you haven't checked out the quick play rules, you can go ahead and find them. They're all over the place. Uh, they're they're out there. They're out in the wild. So, um, the gameplay. Uh, we know about it. We knew about it from sources about how the game played, etc. What what does this game remind you of? And I know that you and I spoke about this in previous episodes a little bit, so we're not going to get too deep into this aspect, but it, it feels like the way that I described it to people, and I've been very vocal about how excited I am about this game, and it has nothing to do, well, it has some to do with the fact that I'm a big Star Wars person, but I was reading the rules and looking through them, and as the cards were coming out, what I really appreciated about this was that it's simple enough that if I wanted to teach somebody how to play who wasn't necessarily a card game person they could pick up this game and learn it in 10 minutes no problem however much like hearthstone the elder scrolls legends rune terra uh magic etc there is a lot of room with a lot of keywords etc that add depth to this game so there's layers to it that you can find you know you can find depth to that you can really you know, grab it from. But is there any games out there specifically that this game just kind of cries out to you as an inspiration? I mean, there's a, there's a couple. So the two big ones that jump out to me, and and part of it might just be like bias, but the first one is The Elder Scrolls Legends, and I think that that one might be a bit of my bias because I covered that game for a very long time, so I'm very familiar with it, and I can see some of the pretty easy overlaps there. If you're not familiar and you never got to play the Elder Scrolls Legends, it was a digital card game. And it also featured the ability to directly attack your opponent, but also directly attack units. You had units that would protect other units, as Flake said earlier, with the guard keyword similar to Sentinel. There were also, you know, the the two areas, right? So you had the field lane and then the like shadow lane, if you will. So think like space and ground. Um, a lot of like iconic characters from Elder Scrolls were in that game, and so they were unique. Now the uniqueness isn't quite the same as it is here, but they still were trying to make it so that you know the lore was respected, and you didn't have you know five copies of Encano running around on the board and. There's just a lot of similarities between the two. But the other one that jumps out to me is the old World of Warcraft TCG. Now, that eventually, or at least a version of it, became Hearthstone. But there was a physical one that you could play in person as well. And that existed before Hearthstone did. And it also has a lot of similarities in terms of um, being character-driven, being able to directly attack units, um, kind of that interplay between the two. Those are the ones that immediately jump out to me. Yeah, I think that you're spot on again. Like, uh, I, I didn't play Elder Scrolls Legends that much. I did get to play it a little bit. Um, you got me into it a little bit. Aeolus, uh, there's a blast from the past name, wonderful human being, got me to play that yeah. game as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I like the two-lane system. And we're going to get into a bit of uh, what we like and what we don't like, and that's going to be part of it. However, uh, one of the major keys that we got out of the developer stream is that from the aspects, which there are six, there are two that will never cross-pollinate. They will never coexist. It's heroism and villainy, and that makes sense. However, um, they like heroism and villainy will never be on the same card, from what I understand. They will never be together. But I wonder if that 
matters into deck building. This is what I was curious about. Like, can you put heroism and villainy in the same deck? I, I would suspect that you can, because there's nowhere in the rules that told me you cannot deck build and have those two, you know. Yeah. So the quick start rules do specifically say that you can include any card from outside your aspects. You just have to pay the tax, mm -hmm. right? You have to pay the two extra. And so unless there is some place else like later in the in-depth rules that specifically calls it out I, I would have expected in that line to say you can include you know any cards from heroism but not villainy right like there was no caveat there was no asterisk there was nothing there it just strictly said you can put any cards in your deck that are not part of your aspects you just have to pay more for them so as far as i know the, the cards themselves will always be heroism and then some aspects or villainy and then some aspects, but you can still play both. You just have to pay the tax. Yeah. All right. Let's dig into the keywords now. We talked about a few of them as uh, they started to leak out with cards, but here they are now for everybody to see. We're going to go through them one by one and uh, as briefly but as as completely as we possibly can the first one being ambush ambush being after you play this unit it may ready and attack an enemy unit the yeast unit doesn't ready if there are no enemy units to attack so this is fascinating because ambush is not just straight up haste or or charge or whatever. right i was just about to say it's not charge from the elder scrolls legends which makes me a little sad because when i covered that game i was well known for charge heavy decks but from a balancing standpoint, I fully understand it. This makes those units far more easier to balance. And if I'm being honest, more flavorful as well, because the idea is, you know, you are ambushing other units. And so if you want your Saw Guerrera to jump in and ambush, you know, some troopers, then great. You can have them do that, but then you don't have to worry about him instantly dealing, you know, five damage to a base or whatever. The uh, this also so it's basically just like it's rush I suppose in Hearthstone which is it can only yeah. attack units and I think that that's something that a lot of card games have you know gotten away from because this opens up OTKs it opens up too much early game uh, pressure that takes away from the interactivity of a game as soon as you have a face hunter deck uh, and then it becomes it just becomes kind of like a game of uh, yeah. you're playing against a clock you're not playing against a, an individual. The Elder Scrolls Legends equivalent was time to fight. And yeah. that was my concoction. And oh boy. Yeah. Well, there's that smucker's face. You, so. Yeah. Uh, next up is Grit. Grit says this unit gets plus one, plus zero for each damage on it. So damage counters will stack. This is very much like um, Enrage, I suppose, or other effects that the more it takes a beating, the better it feels. I, I love this design because it's not just straight like enrage or you know anything like that where if it takes a damage then it's on or off it's not binary I love that the more damage something takes the harder it hits I could totally see like a version of Chewbacca for example that has grit and like you just keep making the Wookiee angry and then eventually you're gonna regret it and I I also like it because this provides some additional value to like upgrade cards that increase the health of a unit right so like something that is plus zero plus three uh as an upgrade on a unit has far more value on a grit than it does any other unit 
The other thing that I think about of this is that, like, imagine you had a, a unit with grit that had, a, like, a five body. You play Vader's Saber on Vader, deal the four damage to that grit unit, giving it plus four damage, go face. Think about it. Because Vader's Saber says a unit, not your opponent's unit, not an enemy unit, a unit, a ground unit. So you equip it, deal four damage to your dude, go face, thank me later. Um... Next up is Overwhelm. Overwhelm is when this unit deals damage to an enemy unit while attacking. Deal excess damage to that opponent's base. So this is Trample. It's Overwhelm. Yep. Um, it's, I mean, it's literally Overwhelm. Yeah, sorry, it's, it's Overrun. Uh, sorry, Overrun is from uh, Mythgard. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as you said, Trample from Magic the Gathering. Um, in the Elder Scrolls Legends, uh, it was Breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Like, it, there's versions of this that have existed in basically every card game almost ever. Like, the number of iterations is is high. You know what's going to have Overwhelm? Overwhelm is going to be your AT-ATs are going to have Overwhelm. Your, uh, I think, like, your walkers, like, your ATSDs, your ATATs, I think, are going to have Overwhelm. I think your, I think uh, Destroyer Droids, if we ever get Destroyer Droids, might have Overwhelm. Oh, we're going to have Destroyer Droids, but I think they're going to have a different keyword that we're going we're gonna to cover get later to. here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think they could I, have both. I think I they're going to be tanks, dude. I think they're going to, oh, Trade Federation tanks are going to have Overwhelm? I was just about to say, I think that it's more likely that it's the tanks, and on the other side, I think it's the capital ships, right? So... In the space area, it's going to be, you know, your executor has overwhelm, right? Because I can shoot through three X-Wings at once with the cannons on that bad boy. Okay. And you know what else should have overwhelm? The... (laughs) The seismic charge. Yeah. seismic charge. (laughs) I still have that queued up, so you're probably getting another one of those bad boys. Uh, We need a button. I, I really want... You know I'll what? I'll hook it up on my sideboard. What, thank you. One of these days, though, I think if ever Wampa Radio just takes off and we start developing merchandise, one of it is going to be a shirt that literally just says, Bwoom, and it's going to have the seismic charge in it because it's the best sound ever created. John Williams himself thinks it's the best piece of auditory media ever created. All right. Uh, what's the next one? <laughs> So the next one we have is Raid. So this says, uh, while this unit is attacking, it gets extra power equal to the Raid value. And then the example they give is Raid 2 gives plus 2 plus 0 while attacking. So this is like the opposite end of Restore, right? We saw the Yoda card with Restore 2 that heals your base. Uh, This is instead your unit and is now dealing damage. But it is on the attack value. It's not direct damage. So again, A, I think that's for balance purposes. Also, just like with Restore, you have to essentially put your unit in harm's way by attacking to get this bonus, so I really like that. And again, also like that it's a static value so that you don't have to worry about other things really ramping it up and and making things absurd. The other question is, is I'm wondering if there was a card that would modify uh, a unit, like like an upgrade that gave a unit like Raid 2. If you put a raid two over a raid two, does it become a raid four? I would imagine so. I would like that's just something that I think that one doesn't supersede the other. I think that they're just cumulative in that case. Um, but yeah, again, aggression decks. Leia has this. Uh, the Le- I think the Leia leader has this, if I'm not mistaken, yes. or one of Leia's has this. Uh, we've seen restore, so we don't have to go too much into that. Yoda has restore. It's basically when you attack, has nothing to do with the power level. 
and it only activates when you attack. It doesn't have to connect, you just have to attack. Um, right. Nothing more to be said about that, I don't think. But the next one, to me, is the best one, in my opinion. Yeah, this, this one is fun just because of, again, so much of the flavor. So this is Saboteur, and it says, when this unit attacks, ignore the Sentinel keyword on enemy units and defeat all shield tokens on the defender before dealing damage. So that second part, I actually think is going to end up being very important. Obviously, Saboteur and aggressive decks where you're trying to go around the Sentinel keyword will be very relevant as well. But the fact that this gives you a way to deal damage through the shielded keyword, and obviously this hints at one of the ones we're going to cover here in a moment, but this just makes you able to break through defenses in both senses of flavor, right? It's both by ignoring Sentinel or by going around the defensive tools of the unit itself. Ah, oh, man. And you can already think about the characters that are going to have this. All those Bothans that you just love to see, you know. I mean, Cassian. Thrown into the sun. Right? Cassian and it's Like, it's got to be a, a Cassian one, right? Jin Urso is going to have this, I feel. Galen Urso is absolutely going to have Saboteur. Um, I just also love that depending on the character, there are, again, different versions they could have it. Like, I could see a version of, like, Hoth Luke that has Saboteur, and it's just the image of him throwing grenades into an ATAT. you know? You know what? That I could picture that art on, like, and what are they called? Events? Uh, or yeah. actions? Yeah. That art on an event that says, give, give your unit Saboteur and plus one damage or something like that. Like, I think that that would be pretty rad but yeah i like that there's a keyword that kind of answers other keywords and this again becomes like when you're thinking about great grander scheme of meta and like if everybody's rolling shields and, and sentinels somebody walks up with a deck uh, a deck stacked with saboteur units and that 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 deck feels punchless right like that deck feels really um kind of answered in that degree which then led me to the discussion of which i asked fantasy flight games and the and and the team at the dev dev stream they said uh -uh, not yet was what is competitive going to look like is it going to look like best of three with a sideboard is it going to look like best of three no sideboard uh is it best, best of one but pre-sideboard like yeah. flesh and blood because like i'll be honest i've grown to love that i do too like, I, I just i really have the the ease of making your gameplay experience less about like the cards I bring that aren't in my deck and just more about like, here's my pile, let's play. Yeah. I, I just really appreciate it. Here's my base. Here's my leader. Uh, we decide who goes first. Sideboard at will. Yeah. yeah, your opponent presents a base and you're like, okay, figure out my team to attack said base, right? Like yeah. a Star Wars experience. Now there's... I also just love, you know, again, thinking about some of the saboteur units. Sorry, I, uh, yeah, I just good. realized that I had a bunch more that immediately sprang to mind because i was like okay what are outside the core jar jar for like sure jar jar protagonist uh, it's funny you say that i was literally gonna say saboteur could be jar jar when he's like kicking around stuff it's accidental but he's absolutely it or i think about like lando or dj or these people who have like switched sides or you know bamboozled or backstabbed or mm -hmm. something like that right there's so many good uses for the keyword Definitely. absolutely uh, Sentinel we know already. It's kind of like taunt or or otherwise. It, it's basically this is what sh what has to be targeted should there be a Sentinel unit on the board. You have to attack through the Sentinels and kill the Sentinels before you can access the other units or the base. Very simple. 
Now yep. here comes the. I, oh, sorry. Well, well, I just wanted to commend them. I love that they actually in the reminder text on the quick start rules gave you instructions, which is place units of sentinels slightly ahead of other units in that area as a reminder that they must be attacked so that you can't do weird obfuscation shenanigans. Um, you know, I think about some of the bad experiences I've had playing magic where people put like half their lands up front and half in the back and their creatures in the middle and you never know how much mana they have available. This straight up says like if your unit has sentinel, it's got to be edged up a little bit or whatever so that it's a visual cue. I just I, I love that they're like, hey, do this. It's a good thing for both players. Like, don't don't be underhanded addressing angle shooting and sharking already yeah. in the quick start rules <laughs> well, well done shielded is the final keyword that we have so far which is when you play this unit give it a shield token if any amount of damage would be dealt to a shield token uh, to a unit with shield token on it prevent that damage and defeat one shield token on that unit two things here number one this is basically divine shield uh is what it yep. is um, or barrier or a ward from the elder scrolls legends yep uh the other thing is that defeat one shield token you could stack these you could have multiple shield tokens apparently so that's a fascinating little uh, little nugget to dip in our sauce here because I can see decks that will kind of Voltron one massive unit and just go ham and be like, I've got, I've got, I don't know, Darth Vader with three shields on him, two lightsabers, so, you know? So a couple of things. One, earlier you said, you know, hey, destroyer droids, I think they'll have overwhelm. And that's when I was like, no, I think they're going to have shielded. And I think they might be one of the units that has more than one shield because they were just so annoying to deal with those shields, right? They, they they roll out, they literally roll out, and then they pop those shields up and they were just a menace. But also, just kind of backtracking to how much we love that saboteur keyword, that's why I felt like the second line was going to be really important at times because you're right, I could totally see somebody you know slapping down a sentinel and trying to put like three shields on it saying, all right, come at me. And then Saboteur says, well, I can ignore it entirely. Or if I do want to destroy it, I can get rid of all of your shields. So yeah. I, I just really like the 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 counterplay, but also the flavor. Again, you know, we were talking about how Jar Jar could have Saboteur. So it's again like he's wandering around the battlefield and he accidentally kicks a grenade into the destroyer droid and then gets rid of its three shields and it blows up, you know? Like that's perfect, beautiful. No notes. Yeah, it's a defeat the shield tokens. It's not like ignore them. It's just they're gone. So, yeah, I think Saboteur is going to be a, a card that's in there. Um, there you go. Th those are all the keywords uh, for it. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the highlights that I thought were very good out of the out of the developer stream, out of the rule set, etc. And the first one is aspects and deck building with aspects as a guideline you'll have you'll be able to access three of the six essentially out of the box we don't know what's coming down the future but ultimately the aspects are offer no hard restrictions so you could put the jankiest things in what i said remember last in last episode where i said you know what this opens up the option where if you want to overpay for something to do a janky combo or to complete something it allows you and affords you to do that on the developer stream uh, I think it was Danny Schaefer, like the lead designer, had mentioned like stuff like, well, when you're drafting or if you find a card that you think is just a really good card, you can draft it and pay a little over the top and really play it. And that, again, 
two things. Number one, he mentioned draft, which that is already on their mind, and that is something that you and I are going to go ape over. We're so happy about that. But the second thing about this is the fact that they are aware that there are going to be some decks that are going to be, you know, five-color decks that are going to be the janky nonsense that people want to play. They haven't they haven't buried that in any way, shape, or form. They are allowing people the latitude to explore however the hell they want to put a, a deck together. If they want to go with, like, the OG, like, the Fellowship of, of Star Wars and say, I want Han, Chewie, Luke you know the droids i want all the all of the guy all of them in there i don't care what it takes i just want to make a cinematic feel i'm going to pay over the top i'm not here to win tournaments i'm here to have fun you can do that you can absolutely do that so i think that the aspect um system for this is awesome and one last thing i know i'm i'm droning on about this and why it's so awesome this was something that they did in battletech which was richard garfield's follow up to magic Battletech had five land systems. They were called like politics, logistics, other things. It was a, it was like a yeah, mech yeah. warrior thing. The cost of deploying a mech, there was two costs. Number one was, it was like, okay, you have two politics and three logistics. It costs you five. But if you're missing one of these two, you pay over the top to deploy it anyways. It's not going to restrict you from playing it, and it's not going to goon you if you can't find that piece of land that you need to play it. All it does is it taxes you for that shortcoming. And that's kind of what the aspect system here is. And I'm glad that they're digging into this because that is a good thing. I I don't want to add too much more to it because I think you summed it up very, very well. But the thing that I kept thinking about after, you know, we found out about what I call the tax, right? Is that how many times have you played a card game flake where you have an effect and it might even be something that seems benign. It's like pay three to draw two cards. How many times have you played a card game and you're like, man, I wish my deck had that option. Like I'd pay five for it. Like now you can, right? That's the beauty of it. Yeah. I would guarantee you that there are Druid decks out there that would love to have arcane intellect. But then again, Druid decks definitely have all kinds of other card draw shenanigans, but yeah. um, Another uh, part of this that I really, really loved was the concept of the initiative token. And for those who are unaware, the initiative token is something that in the span of a turn, because turns are shared, you take an action, I take an action, and the turn only completes, or that phase of the turn completes when both of us pass. However, one player can elect to take initiative as their final action for the turn. And what that does, it means that if you have the initiative token, you get to go first on the next one, relinquishing the token into neutrality until somebody else takes it. This is a really strategic injection into an otherwise very simply des- simple designed game that I think is going to be very paltry and forgettable for the first two or three turns, but crucial in the for the mid to late game. This when I saw this in the rules, this was one of the things I was immediately the most excited about. As somebody who covered Artifact, right? I was on the casting desk and I did the hosting duties for uh, the largest events that game ever had. And for those of you who don't remember, there was a brief moment when Valve had a card game and it was like a big deal and then it died almost instantly. But that game 
also used initiative in almost the exact same fashion where the game went back and forth and the first person who passes, who ends their turn, quote unquote, they got initiative for the next turn. And there was so much depth to that because being able to take the first action when you both essentially refresh everything is a big deal. It might be that first attack you need, but it also might be answering the unit your opponent just played. If your opponent plays a bomb, you might have more stuff that you can do this turn, but if you don't want to take the shot from Darth Vader into the face, you might just need to pass now so that you can guarantee you get that vanquish off or whatever uh, to answer it right away. Like there is so much depth in that initiative token. This is wonderful for the game. I am really looking forward to it. And there's a lot of stuff that you can do to play with it as well from a design standpoint about like, you know, in the future, granted we're not even into set one yet, it hasn't released, right? But like down the road, we can envision cards that say something like, you know, this gets a bonus if you have the initiative token. So maybe you pass early to ensure you get those bonuses. Similarly, this gets a bonus if you don't have the initiative token, right? There's there's a lot you can do because they use it as an actual token. So kudos to them. I'm I'm so excited for this. I you're spot on there. Um the other key highlight here is they didn't try to break the mold and get overly cute with things. And, you know, you and I combining for almost 50 years of card game experience, we've seen it all, we've played it all. We know when things work, when things don't work, and there's no shame in borrowing aspects of things because, you know, what the keywords that they put out is the point I'm trying to make here are, are a highlight here because you've taken away from some of the more toxic elements, like, for example, straight up lifelink is not there damage-based life gain is not there first strike double strike kind of you know i kill you you don't touch me um um, conditions that could be annoying as well uh and aspects like death touch are not there things that that immediately if this deals damage to a unit that unit immediately dies um i would imagine that there's going to be something like that something like that printed onto a card as sheer text but the fact that it is not a keyword i think is is important because i think what they what they're doing there is realizing that it that effect itself has to be super powerful that it doesn't deserve a keyword because it might only be you know linked to a a, a handful of cards over the scheme of the game yeah and the, the good news is there's kind of already built-in insurance against a keyword like that. So, like, Shielded comes into play there. As somebody who played a lot of, um, you know, again, like the Elder Scrolls Legends and things like that, Death Touch, um, you know, Poison, whatever the keyword variation is, they exist. And then that Shield, um, that's normally how you block it. So it's there. But the reality is, as you said, it not being a keyword right out of the gate, I think, is good because it can feel oppressive. And I think one of the things that gets missed in game design very often, and you know, I was just mentioning Artifact and this fell prey to that, is that just because a game is balanced doesn't mean it's fun. A lot of people get focused on things being fair and balanced, but balanced doesn't necessarily mean fun. The way you feel when you play a game, something can feel oppressive and not be broken, but it still makes you not want to play the game. And the moment you get people who love your game and suddenly they don't want to play it, you have a problem, right? So 
I think that, you know, as you said, this this is a right number of keywords. It's very accessible. People coming from other card games will find it familiar. People who are just learning card games for the first time, they will find it easy to pick up. You know, that easy to learn, hard to master is the sweet spot for card games. So I, I think that this is just right in the middle, right where it needs to be. Um, the last little bit of highlight that I personally had after the reading the rules, seeing the dev stream, is what you and I surmised would happen that they confirmed is on their mind and is likely going to be something that this supported right out of the box. Limited play. You and I celebrated Jump for Joy when we basically had it confirmed. I think that this is something that you and I, we love limited play as much as we love constructed play. Limited play to us is something that we absolutely adore. And if for those who don't know what limited play is, limited format is basically what it states. You have a limited pool of cards that you can play from. So be it sealed. Sealed is typically we give you six packs. You build a deck out of six packs. That's it. Draft is you open a pack, you peel one card out of it, you pass the pack to your left, and you receive what's left of the person on your right. You do that about three times, uh, three packs worth, and you build a deck out of that. This is a massive aspect of card gaming that I will say straight up, as somebody who has been intimately involved in Gwent, Gwent development, Gwent casting, Gwent everything, I was with them since 2015. That is the one thing I kept telling them that they were screwing up massively, that it was something that they they had an opportunity to fix, to, to do something different with, and they took the they did not do that right, and the game is basically DOA uh, in 2024. Um, not to say that that was the only reason. That's a whole other story, a whole other discussion. But games that succeed... Games that have replayability after the second month of a set releases are games that have robust and healthy limited play. And I'm very happy to know that Star Wars Unlimited is going to have that. I want to just tack on something else real quick because I'm right there with you. Love Limited. It's my favorite. Always, always, always will be. But if you're somebody who is like myself and you do not want to see insane secondary market prices for cards right alternate cards chase cards you know special foil rares whatever i'm fine they can be expensive that's cool but if you're somebody who doesn't want like playable cards to be ultra expensive then you need to have an incentive for people to continue to open packs having a good limited play experience where people will still on a friday night want to sit down and draft your set is paramount to that because then you still have people opening stuff over and over and over that gets out into the wild and then your your prices are lower as a result so uh, it's a net win i think for everybody if draft is not just around but also good and all signs point to that being the case here limited is is basically a situation where if the if the set itself is relatively balanced you will always have a new meta every time you show up to your lgs to play to draft Excuse me. Um, whereas if all you have is constructed and you know the 20 people from your LGS that are going to go there to play and you know what everybody plays and you know what they're going to play because they want to win the prize or whatever, limited is a different story. That is a skill in itself. And what people fail to realize is a lot of card games now, Magic, Flesh and Blood specifically, crown champions, world champions, national champions 
as a mix of both formats, draft and constructed. They they weigh the two equally in terms of gauging skill sets and gauging um, you know the worth or the the value rather the the merit of a player to be a champion. You need to be well tuned to both. And I'm and again, this is something I know that you and I Charmer are probably going to draft the living daylights out of. Yeah. I I'm ready. Sign me up right now. Let me <laughs> let me draft it. Turn and, me loose. Put and, me in coach. <laughs> any uh, any other highlights for you? I mean there's plenty, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I was going to say like there's probably a lot, but we we should cover the rest. We should appear fair and balanced. Yeah. We should maybe cover some low lights. Yeah. And I have the the most glaring for me um is that there in the rules on paper there is no interaction between space and ground. And I I get it from the broad scope of of things being that you know if you've got a star destroyer that's orbiting a planet, it's probably not going to be able to pinpoint the Cloud City Guard Sentinel that's down there, you know, and and hit it. And I get it. It's like, well, what about orbital bombardments? What about, you know, what about when X wings come through and 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 you know help out the ground troops and go crazy and you know again that scene where you know when Han and Chewie are uh, you know overwhelmed by stormtroopers at Maz Kanata's place and all of a sudden Poe and the and the squad comes in and just blasts them all to bits and stuff like that like I get that I think that there should have been a keyword where some of the units like snub fighters you know like starfighters and whatever could interact with ground units and there could have been some ground units that you know could trade damage with with you know whatever or like yeah or like you know you can deploy an orbital space cannon on the ground that you know does nothing on the ground but is an absolute star destroyer killer in space I, I, I'm led to believe that there will be cards, events, things of that nature that will say, you know, like, for example, um, strafing run or something like that. You know, your X-Wing gets plus one, uh, gets plus one, plus, you know, plus one, plus one and can attack a ground unit. Something like that is bound uh, to happen. I, I was just about to say, I expect two things. I expect events, right, where it might say your space you know your space vehicle we'll use tags uh deals damage equal to its power to a ground unit yeah right i could see that because that represents the strafing but it's not a direct interaction between the zones but you still get that feel um also as you mentioned the cannon i'd already kind of envisioned a card like that but i expect it to be just not a keyword, but text on the unit. So imagine a unit that's like an 04 on the ground, but it says that you activate it to deal two damage to a space unit. Mm. So it can be attacked freely on the ground and it doesn't have its own damage to like resist it. It just fires into space sort of thing. Yeah. I, I you, could totally see that. You could still have that actually. Right. I mean, you could, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. I don't think that they put it in terms of keywords because that would indicate it would be in my opinion anyway something that represents the larger flow of the game i think that these are going to be things that are still in the game but they will be more unique or feel more special because they're going to be very specialized in their approach i think that you know the more i think about it i think that maybe 
there's going to be a decent number of interactions, but they're going to be built in. They're not. So I think putting in the rule book is probably not the right roof. So, you know, right, right. I might delete it from a low light. Uh, it's tentatively. Have I won you over? <laughs> well, it's, I think that it's, it's going to exist there. And if they, and if the set is printed and there's no way for ground and space to interact, then I think it's a, I think that's an L for the, for the game. But I suspect that, looking at what i've seen and some of the flavor and whatever i think that some of these cards and whatever that you and i are kind of just conceptualizing i would i wouldn't put it past danny schaefer and the design team to just be like dude let's just do that and if you're listening danny schaefer we are ready to come to the studio and give you all of our 50 plus years or 50-ish years of of card game experience i have experience with design (laughs) in the past and play testing and a, a number of things. So feel free to contact me. Yeah, we're a package deal though, okay? You don't get R2 without 3PO. Uh, the next thing that kind of is for now, again, I'm saying for now, kind of a low light is bases are literally just aspects. That's it. It's a, it's an aspect. Um, I would suspect that much like in Flesh and Blood, heroes that are overtuned have less health. I suspect that we are going to see something where you're going to have bases that are going to have game text and lower life totals or bases that have a lot more game tech, a lot more life, let's say, like maybe it's a 35 or a 40 point, but it has no aspect. I think that this is just another balance metric, but I'm as it stands right now that bases are basically who cares? You know, it's it at that rate, just it's a token you know, that has an aspect on it. I think that bases will play a bigger role, 100%. I'm just very curious in terms of how. But right now, bases are the, the basically the, 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 yeah. the weak link. I agree with you. I think that there is a lot of ways that you can grow the bases in future design. As you said, you can add text to them, lower the life. You can make them dual aspect. You can give them no aspect. I also think that there's room because they are printed cards to reference the bases directly. Something like, you know, give a unit plus one plus zero, but if your unit is Dagobah or your base is Dagobah, then also draw a card, right? So that you can think about deck building from that regard as not just the bases, the aspect, but also what does it potentially turn on for, you know, other cards. There's paying the tax, but then there's potentially like paying the base tax, which is the, I want to run this card, but I don't get the benefit because I don't have the right base sort of thing. So um, I could see a number of different ways they could explore that. But yeah, in the first set, at least what we've seen so far does appear pedestrian. But I also think that's an accessibility thing, right? The the first set, you don't want to go too wild because people are just learning your game. I agree. Uh, and I, you're dead You're dead right about it because, again, look at Dagobah Dagoba Swamp. Dagobah Swamp has Dagobah on the bottom in terms of, like, the tribal er- area. It's, like, the planet. Yeah. Dagobah, Jeddah, and then there's the uh, the specific region, Dagobah Swamp. So you might get Dagobah Yoda's Hut, which might have a game text that's, like, once per game, get play Yoda from your deck or something like that. Or Dagobah Cave, uh, which is, you know... Um, I don't know, like once per game, get an uh, an imperial action out of your or a, or a force action out of your, you know, or a force villainy yeah. action. You no, know, now that you've uh, mentioned it with because I was thinking about it from the name of the location, but with the flavor text 
not existing and instead it's just like the tags here and it's Dagobah, but it's also Jeddah. I think that's the planet your base is on, supposedly. So I could see cards that also reference the, the planet of your base, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent. I think that it's going to be like, for instance, I think that there are going to be cards that interact with Dagobah, interact with Jeddah, but it's like, okay, I want something that interacts with Jeddah, but I don't want aggression as my aspect. So there's going to be Jeddah, you know, the sit like the city in Jeddah, or, you know, right. and, and, and things like that, where instead of aggression, maybe it's vigilance as your, that's your thing, but you still get Jeddah. So you can still get Jeddah interactions. So, but for now, again, I think that this is another put it on the shelf and we'll revisit it later because but for now, I think that bases need to have a lot more personality. And I, I highly, highly am confident that they will. Um, the last little low light for me, which I don't think is going to be a low light for many people, but me personally, there's no instance, no stack. There's no way to respond to your opponent's action. They take an action and it resolves. There is no, you know, in magic, you can counterspell something or they do something and in response, you do something else to mess with it or get value before it dies or something like that. That that does not exist as we know it right now. So it's funny because to me, this is actually a highlight. I think that the stack in some cases anyway, needlessly complicates thing. Whereas this is, because the stack, if you think about it, is I do something, and then if you want to respond, it's you doing something, and then if I want to respond, it's me doing something. But it's still, ultimately, I do something, you do something, I do something, you do something. It's just that we we freeze a moment in time, and then we stack a bunch of things, and then we resolve them. This is still the exact same thing. It's I do something, you do something, I do something. We just never freeze it in time. But the number of actions each player takes is still ultimately the same in that back and forth context, right? But because this game has the initiative token, and as somebody who, again, I played a lot of Artifact and I got to see how that game worked because that also didn't have a stack. It's just balanced around the idea of I take an action, you take an action, I take one. Yes, what you lose out on is like the idea of a counter spell, something that just cancels the action your opponent was taking. But what you gain is that you design your game around, if my opponent does something, I can capitalize on it by my next action being a response of sorts. It might not stop what they've done, but I can still do something that ultimately gets us to the same end point that would have been a volley of counter spells and interrupts and whatever, right? I think that this just forces the game always moving forward instead of that freeze it in time and then we resolve a bunch of stuff. So from an accessibility standpoint and a balance standpoint, I to me, I actually like it. I think it's a highlight, not a low light. You know, you might have sold me on it a little bit. And again, this is, might just be the fact that, again, a lot of the games that I have very heavily invested time in have that kind of game mechanic yeah. where you can respond like in my mind i wasn't thinking counterspell i just put counterspell out there because it was yeah yeah it's the most common thought one so i think sure. it's a good one to base it around but um instance in flesh and blood similar right i play an instant and then priority goes to you you can respond while mine's floating but ultimately it's still 
I do something, you do something, I do something. Yeah. We're just freezing that moment in, in time and then working backwards. This game design is the exact same number of actions. So you're just always going forward, right? The, the, so. the, the scenario I envisioned is you you declare you're attacking my sentinel. I respond with give a unit a shield, right? Yeah. So that's there. Now, even deeper than that, you can say, all right, I let that resolve. Your shield resolves. Now I'm going to play a card that says deal one damage to a unit. So I pop your shield and things go back to normal. And I get it. It's like somebody in their mind would be like, well, nothing happened then. Well, yeah, but things did technically happen. No, things do happen. So here's what you do, though, right, is um, this puts the onus. The only thing that changes in that exchange when you go to this initiative format is it puts the onus on the player who's in like the defensive position to to envision or see what their opponent is doing before they do it so like in a magic or flesh and blood i wait till you do the thing and then i respond instead in this game it's if i think you're going to attack my unit and it's my turn right now i play the shield now right Mm -hmm. now i'm doing the same thing as playing it in response i just i had to have the forethought to do it that's literally it's the only change all right now the only thing that i'm lost on uh, with no stack is that if there was ever going to be a stack in this game, um, I think it would just like visually, I, I think about knocking blaster bolts back, right? Like a Jedi stormtrooper shots coming in, you knock it back at them, you know, or the droids, right? I don't know how you, you know, could encapsulate that any better than with like the stack exchange, but I'm willing to sacrifice like that bit for just smoother gameplay because uh, again, as somebody who I, I've played a, quite a few games that use the initiative system now, and I just really like it. It means that you don't have to worry about like losing track on what was responding to what. You don't have to do any like first in last out stuff. Um, you don't have to pause for priority, right? Like think about how many times in a game that like you've been like, all right, do you have priority? Do I have priority? Yeah. Also, in this, we again, we have no inside information. This is not whatever, um, but. If they ever did an online client, the coding is way simpler with an initiative system than it is with any sort of like call and response, freeze a moment in time stack. Like the difference between playing uh, MTG Arena versus playing something where you're just passing actions back and forth is massively, massively better of an experience if you're doing the initiative one. Dude, if I if they've made an online client, I'm coming out of streaming retirement. And we're jamming those all day long. You and me both, brother. Uh, all right. Next uh, little bit here is that deck size is going to be minimum 50 cards. And, uh, you know, the question about best of three sideboarding, this kind of answers that because you can't have a sideboard and have a f- minimum deck limit. Sure I get, um, magic I, Magic has. Uh, you know what? You're absolutely. Well, uh, no, they don't. Not, not in standard. In standard, it's 60 cards. Is it? I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, and I if you if I'm wrong. Back on this, when I played standard, it was minimum. But yeah. I, you have to remember, I played when Battle of Wits was in standard. So. Yeah. Well, you played exactly. You played with Richard Garfield, like uh, you know, with Post-it notes when he was developing the game. That's how old we are. But uh, I could be wrong here. So please, if I am wrong, please let us know and in uh, the comments. Google says deck must be at least okay sixteen cards. All right. And up- two 15 cards for sideboard so that doesn't have to so one is at least and the other is up to okay so this goes back to minute so deck size minimum 50 cards which i like i like it 
um, I like a little bit of an escape from the 60 card kind of thing. Also, quicker games would typically allude to a lower deck. So, because if you have 60 cards, but the games are quick, you're not seeing 65 to 75% of your deck typically, because the game just happens too quickly. Um, So... Uh, what uh, what Danny Schaefer mentioned, I asked them in the stream, and they answered the question. So we really appreciate it. I said, "How much would a typical match take? How long is a standard game on average?" And he said, "Between ten and twenty minutes." However, that is very archetype and matchup dependent because you could have a control mirror that, and I thought this was cute, a control mirror that can ex- he's it could exceed thirty minutes. All right there, Bucko. I've done olden mirrors that went two hours. No problem. Like that is not that is not the thing. <laughs> right, I, I right. have stalled out the MTGA client because both players had over thirty thousand life. Like I we have been there. We have done that. So when you say exceed thirty minutes, that is like a quick game of flesh and blood. <laughs> so at least for me you as know, a guardian main. That's really interesting. I I assume I know the answer to this, but I'm curious whether or not your base can go over thirty. That is the other thing I wanted to ask. I'm not even kidding you because there's nothing in there that says, maybe I didn't read it entirely, but I thought that, uh, like, is it is it Hearthstone based where you hit your cap and you cannot go above that unless you have things that add health instead of restore it, or is it? I I bet that I think it's a hard cap. I was gonna say I bet there are hard caps. And I actually really, I really hope that's the case because when you start thinking about, again, ways that you can improve the base design, imagine a base where it's like, it's got a, uh, a starting health of 35, but then at the start of the game, you, you know, you take seven damage. So you start at 28, but you can overheal that base, right? Like you have to put in the work though, but that's the benefit of running that one or something, you know? Yeah. Um, but also just from the, a flavor standpoint, I, I have a hard time envisioning like fortifying my base even further than it's starting. Like my base is my base. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know that you can. I do think it'd be really cool if there are cards that like give your base shields, right? That you have to like blow that's through before the damage. That's you know, going to happen. I feel like that's got to be a thing. You know, you got to blow the shields up before you can attack the Hoth echo base, you know? That's the first thing I thought of is that if there's ever another base that comes out, lower health total, but maybe... It's like at the, at you know, like, um, you know, um, your base starts with a shield and uh, when it doesn't have a shield, you take off a counter, like of three counters. When all three counters are gone, add a shield token and add three counters. So it's like it can re-get the shield, but it has, it starts with a lower life total, let's say. Like these are just, again, ideas that are thematic that utilize the rules and the game text or whatever i that's a good question i i'm let i believe that you cannot overheal and i think that that makes sense unless it's like like you mentioned like fortifying like we have dig up a swamp what do you put a white picket fence around the swamp and be like all right we're protected against uh against um you know uh slugs and stuff but the minox are still yeah. around so <laughs> put the bubble shield you know, it's up fun- funny you mentioned the games being you know 10 to 20 minutes on average that tells me just based on other games that it probably is going to be best of three because that seems like a really short game time if that's like a single game per round and i'm not against best of three necessarily but i just really hope it's not like best of three sideboard i know that this is heresy for many long time game uh you know players but i'm very anti-sideboard 
flesh and blood is like okay with me because it's like pre-sideboard so you're still like you have your deck and you play and you, you start with your limited pile but just ultimately um i have i have come to realize that games that have a sideboard in mind when they do their design they use that as an excuse to do things that are very polarizing the idea of like i can have this card that just obliterates you know one or two decks in the format and then yeah they might have an answer to my card but it's in their sideboard well that means that the first game is likely really not fun for one player and all it takes is them to not draw their answer and then it's really not fun a second time you know what i mean like mm -hmm. the cards that end up being okayed through development the the rollback is always like well you have a sideboard so you have answers you know i you know early magic right i think about like even just like red elemental blast and blue elemental blast right that are blowouts in certain matchups and then garbage in others well like that i just i don't know i don't like that level of polarized design personally so i'm i'm kind of anti sideboard all right last little bit here is the fact that uh in future streams, developer streams are going to dig into things like rarity, chase cards, collectability, all that other stuff. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at with that. Um, we uh, we went very long, so I'm going to float the idea to you. Do you want to or, or do you want to do a separate mailbag episode, a shorter addendum episode midweek, or do you want to just plow through this? I'm okay with both. All right, let's uh, let's plow through it. Let's plow through it. Why not? Um, let's get to that. Let's get to the bad feeling mailbag. I got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about okay. this. Quiet. And our first uh, submission is by fan of the show, Rich the Polish guy, whom I think both of us have met. Have you? You've met yeah. Rich? Yep. A great. I've met. Awesome Rich, human absolutely. being. Absolutely. Rich asks. We've already seen some teasing. What are the top five unexpected characters you would love to see in the first set? So five is a lot. Uh, I'll give you like one or two that I would love to see in terms of like when I say unexpected, I mean literally like a fringe kind of weird kind of character. To me, that's Unkar Plot, you know, one quarter portion. I think that that would be a pretty cool uh, cool dude to throw in there you got one yeah uh this is tough like when when i first saw this question i was thinking of like uh, asajj ventress right but i think that might be too obvious but i just i don't think that she'll be in the first set i think we'll get her eventually um but i if, if i'm trying to pull like a really side character uh I think I want Coolio. Coolio? From the yeah, no, uh, from the <laughs> Mandalorian. Coolio. Uh, I I have spoken. Yes. Yeah. That's that that counts. I think that's fringe enough. I like that. I think one. that I think that's fringe enough. Needs the fringe keyword, by the way. Yeah, that is actually that is a tribal. That is one of the taglines for sure. Uh, what do we got next, there, buddy? All right. So the next question that we have from the bad feeling mailbag is from Greg. Thank you, Greg. We love you. Uh, also known as Darth Prentice. So very excited that we're actually doing Star Wars content for him, finally, after other card games for many years. Says, I haven't finished reading the quick start rules. Any alternate win-con speculation? Okay, so I might be in the minority on this. I like very difficult-to-achieve alternate win conditions. 
Um, in Hearthstone, you had like the get the if the four horsemen die, you kill your opponent. In the I think the only one, the only one in Star Wars CCG was if you if you if Vader turns from the dark side to the light side. If you turn Vader, it it ends the game. You win, flat out win. To do that took enormous work to the point yeah. where it was not even worth doing because usually as you're progressing towards that win condition you will are you are already progressing the game state where you were either winning or losing through that end anyways nobody built that deck where that was their way to win that was their th- threatening that was how they threatened that hey if this game goes longer i'm gonna win it this way so you deal with me here kind of thing Mm-hmm. I think that if there's going to be an alternate win condition in this game, it's going to be something Jedi testing related where you're uh... you're going to have like a Yoda and an apprentice, much like Star Wars CCG did, but they didn't have a win condition. It just it was just you progressing that. I think you're going to have something along the lines where you're going to train an apprentice to be a Jedi and then the alternate win condition is like if you've completed all these steps, and you and it defeats a dark Jedi or a Sith, you win the game. So there's a lot of moving pieces here because your opponent could just not put a dark a, a Sith on the board, but at the same time you're running amok with this beefed up character that you know has cool stuff going on. I think that that would be a, a suitable one. Mm, yeah. All right. So here's mine. The entire game is based around trying to kill bases, right? What's the easiest way to kill a base? The Death Star. You kill the planet it's on, right? Death Star, baby. So, to make it difficult, though, Death Star itself isn't likely going to be a card. I think that you literally have to build the Death Star and then fire the laser. So I think you might have, like, pieces that you have to put into play in space, and then you're going to have to use your ships to protect it because they're vulnerable. They don't have any attack values or anything while you're building it. I'm thinking like Return of the Jedi, it's still being put together, Death Star. Yeah. And so you're going to have to play like Sentinel space units and things, but you literally have to like get out the Voltron pieces, assemble it, and then fire the laser. And then you win. That's oh, what I think. dude. Yeah. Where it's like, it's like five or six pieces. And once mm-hmm. the, it's like, if they're, if, and then you have a card. You have to have like an event, and it's literally like fire the yeah, laser. Yeah, commence primary ignition. Uh, yeah, you tap ten resources and deal thirty damage to your opponent's base. Oh, did we just create this? I mean, this is your idea, but still, I mean, I'm all on board, man. I, I think that anyway, that that something like that would be very up there for like an early alternate win con. I think that that just thematically really fits. The closest thing, like, I play these types of decks all the time. In the game Cards, K-A-R-D-S, like the World War II card game, I used to almost always play uh, a British deck that was called... There was a card called the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth cost all of your resources, and it said if you, ha- if you have 30 or more health on your base, deal 20 damage to your opponent's base. And the ba- you start with 20. So you have to gain health progress the game and protect that health total until you draw that card and have 12 resources to pay it then it's basically point click delete it was always awesome it was always awesome i see this being the same way and i'm i'm all for it all for it 
Last one is from Crow. The Teclo Crow asks, despite the obvious synergies that are written on cards, such as Vader and his lightsaber, what other card combinations do you think will set up an engine? Now, an engine is kind of a term where a card is kind of left almost to its own devices and gets exponentially gets more value over time. So it has to be something that will either continue to grow or continue to improve your board state or diminish their board state. I think that to me, you're, I think there's going to be something like you mentioned, like um, an orbital defense platform that can deal damage to space, like tap it, deal two to a space unit, tap it, deal, like to me, that's an engine piece. But to me, I think that's something along the lines of, um, I think I think in Magic, it's called like Prodigal Sorcerer or whatever. It's just tap it, mm-hmm. deal one damage to anything you want. I think that there's going to be something like that that exists that you'll be able to, in, in lieu of attacking, like tap the unit, you may deal one damage to anything on the board. And I think that those are what is most likely early on where, you know, you're always going to have like Luke's light, like Anakin's saber that Luke can carry or Anakin can carry or whatever. You're always going to have uh, Han's, you know, Chewbacca's bowcaster that has a bonus with him and whatever. But in terms of like engine, as a as like a concept that to me i think is is the way it's gonna go yeah i I think that's a good one to think about i i I could see a couple of different things because i think of you know engines as being things where as you said you get the recurring value and so when i was trying to think about you know in star wars what's something where like once it's online it's going so i think that we might see something where maybe and it might not be in this first set but at some point like maybe you play something on the ground that again has no attack value it's just like an 04 but what it does is it creates clone troopers for you right like the uh the cloning stations uh, or like, something if, like that oh if your base is camino imagine your base is camino and it's instead of a 30 it's a it's a 20 health thing but it says at the start of your turn put a 1-1 clone token on the board Right. Any all sorts of stuff, right? There's any number of ways that you can do the cloning thing and make it work. But that's what I like immediately jumped to is like if you have an engine, how cool would it be if you're just like pumping out clone troopers? That's a good one too. I think that's a that's much better than mine. You could also do the same thing um with droids, right? As well. Uh you could have like a trade federation, you know, making the battle droids mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh like one of those dropships or whatever, or like the 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 battle droid transports it's, mm-hmm. it's like it comes into play with you know or it, it comes into play it's like at the end of your turn at the beginning of your turn create a one one battle droid and then you and then it's just there and until you kill the this is you know the the transport uh tank or whatever the transport ship then it'll continuously be there those those types of cards exist in almost every card game i've ever played they have something to that effect and i think that this is I think this is awesome. I I personally hope that this game gets a digital client in the selfish way that I am, you know, living in my apartment, yeah. never seeing the sunlight. But that's just me, dude. That's just me. But uh, that does it for the mailbag, dude. That is it. That's all she wrote. That is it. That's all she wrote. We made it. I know we went long, but oh, yeah, we, we have did. so much to talk about. We did. We did. I'm getting, I'm, I was supposed to meet with Brendan Patrick about a half an hour ago to uh, record our other podcast, but that one is not as exciting as this one, so he. I told him to take a to take a seat. But um, thank you again, everybody, for submitting to the 
bad feeling mailbag. If you want to send us a question for the mailbag, you can do so by reaching out to at Wampa Radio on Twitter, myself at WatchFlake on Twitter, and at ThatCharm3R, because you're edgy and a droid. Yes. Yes, I am. Oh, you tried to do it. You did, you, you fumbled it. Do it again. Do I? No, I, oh, I, I was making sure I was unmuted. Did, oh. you, did you think I was going to do the voice? Yes, I did. No, I uh, I was just making sure that I was unmuted there. Oh, friends. All right. Well, this is also a good time to remind you, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's free. You can also make sure you follow us on whatever audio platform that you got us on. We're on Apple, uh, Google, Stitcher, I think, Amazon Music, Spotify. We're basically, basically everywhere. And... Say and this if last you find time. us and we're not on your favorite platform, tell us the one you want us on and we'll add it. Yeah, we we jumped through a lot of hoops to get this off the ground, but I think a lot of that is now sort of smoothed over, so we can do that. And the best way that you guys can support us, honestly, is just follow our content and five-star reviews on whatever platform that you're listening to us. Again, the algorithmocracy wants us to be a regal five-star existence before it sort of recognizes and you guys can get us there. So thank you so much um, as you guys have been supporting us so very well. Charmer, another, this one's a long one, but I think that a lot of the heavy lifting for for the game so far is is complete in terms of those, uh, our podcast responsibilities. I think you're right. And yet I somehow envision next week it's going to go along as well. There's just so much to cover and I'm so excited. That's the problem is that I keep derailing us. I'm the problem, but I'm so excited that I want to talk about it, and then I don't want to shut up. I think that our next episode, what we should do is we should, you and I should write out a list of five things that we haven't seen that we think would be, that we think is still a plausible, you know, option for us. You know, things akin to like, you know, dual, uh, dual aspect bases or interact like well we'll we'll come up with some ideas or whatever but i think we've got some you know another episode in us at the very least and oh we got a few yeah for sure for sure do you have a funky voice to lead us out on my friend may the force be with you